Welcome to Family Features, a podcast for anyone who wants to experience healthy relationships within their family. This is Dr. Corey Gilbert, and I'm honored to come alongside you to encourage, educate, and equip you as we focus on the different relationships that make us family. Let's get started and focus on today's feature. Welcome to the Family Features Podcast. Today, I'm actually um, excited to introduce our Christian Boland. Today, we're going to talk about where he's at, who, some of his story, um, some resources, and just kind of what God's doing in his life. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Corey. It is so good to be with you. I'm, I'm excited to have this conversation. Wonderful. I'm excited because we're going to go to just a, a lot of good stuff and a lot of hard stuff today, just yes. kind of with your story and um, and where God's led you to even write and and put your story and your life out into the world as well so let's actually start with um just a summary of just kind of who you are and where you're at in life sure yeah so uh professionally i am an instructional designer i build learning materials for corporations and i was a, a a teacher in a juvenile corrections facility for about 12 years which was an amazing experience with everything from rural pranksters to um killers and a lot of a lot of drug and gang and that type of thing. And that was really uh, amazing. And uh, I was actually a rock and roll musician playing six nights a week when I uh, my wife walked into a club where we were playing for the first time. That was a brand wow. new band for the first time. She walked in and we were married six months later. Oh goodness! <laughs> <laughs> we were engaged within a month, and uh, you know, at the time, God was already important in my life. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had conversations about God and, and so forth. And everything just felt right. I mean, she made me feel amazing. She's just this lighthearted, loving personality. Uh, people call her a light. They just see her as a light. And I fell in love with her. She complimented everything about me. So I felt after answers of prayer that this was right. And uh, I continued to pray about that even into the hard times, because as we're going to talk about, yeah. it got yeah. ugly. How did you go from working to working at a lockdown <laughs> facility? Yeah. Well, another thing I'm, I'm very open about is that I am a recovering drug addict myself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, God has a way of shaping our paths, mm-hmm. as, as we all know. And so I already had a degree in mathematics and enough education uh, to enough education credits to teach at this private facility. Uh, so after life on the road and the, and the difficulties that quickly manifest in my marriage, I decided let's let's settle down and let's just get a real job kind of thing. So that was the transition. But it was, I mean, I'm not from the city. I'm not used to like really uh, like hardcore kinds of criminal behaviors and, and culture and that kind of thing. So I was a little uh, uncertain about taking this job. But again, I prayed about it, felt it was right. And it's ironically, that's where I grew up. That's those 12 years is where I learned what it meant to be addicted, that I was, in fact, an addict and I became a recovering addict. Neat. And so this is a funny question I'm going to ask you, but kind of a big jump. But how common is mental illness in the U.S.? Uh, It's shockingly common. So when I decided at my wife's urging to write this book that, that we'll talk about a bit later, mm-hmm. um, started doing some of the, the research and uh, estimates are in the United States that close to 50% of all adults will have a mental illness at some time in their lifetime. It's like 49.3%. Mm-hmm. 
And in any given year, and this was before COVID, and COVID has absolutely heightened those numbers. Exactly true. <laughs> yeah. And domestic violence has gone up, divorce has gone up, stress levels. I mean, all that does is it triggers people's latent, but like, you know, if they're a little on the edge, this will put them over. But anyway, pre-COVID, it was uh, 19% in a given year will experience a mental illness. And generally, I believe, Corey, you can correct me on this, that, um, that addiction is classified as a mental illness too. So I'm assuming those, that would probably include the estimates of addicts out there. But I'm not, don't, yeah, it doesn't yeah. add it on top of that. Is that right? Oh wow. Okay, so that's an even bigger number. Yeah, even bigger number. That which is amazing to think about, and to think about, there's a story behind every person's place where they're at with an with an addiction. Um, so then they bring that into someone else's life, like marriage. Right. Well, how does that right. impact marriage? Uh, so addiction we know scientifically changes the brain. Mm -hmm. uh, it spiritually introduces darkness, selfishness, you know, sin. There's a reason that scriptures call it the bondage of sin. Yep. It, it changes who we are and we act differently than we would otherwise. So if we're persistent and in denial on the addiction, it just brings that sinful darkness in and, um, and, and a host of other factors, depending on the kind of addiction. Porn addiction, of course, is a huge deal right now yes, and is. destroying people's lives and marriages. And uh, so, yeah, it, it brings an effect with it. Well, it's idolatry. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's always a reason behind that addiction. There's more. We're really learning right now that a lot of our focus has been on the drug on porn or on other you know medication type drugs or, or illicit drugs that's the i i would almost say we're really we can really see it's that's the wrong focus the focus needs to be on there's a reason why a person needs to or is choosing to escape or numb yeah. themselves yeah you know in my case i found out later in my 30s late 30s that i have bipolar too so bipolar depression, I think it's typically called. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not the more typical manic where people, you know, have these hours or days of just incredible energy. I tend to be on the depressive side. Mm -hmm. I believe, like many mental illnesses, that this kicked in in my teenage years. And I remember feeling like, like feeling kind of guilty with God in my heart. And when I was a teenager about using drugs, but at the same time, I thought, I just feel so much better. I just feel at peace. And I mean, isn't, is it really that bad? And then, you know, later I understand more why, but I think I was self-medicating because of my, my mental condition, partly. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's, I mean, I would say there's not much doubt in that. It was just unknown as to more of the why that now you're coming into an awareness of. Yeah. I feel like our whole world's coming into more of an awareness of that. And I live in Oregon where it's, you know, now cocaine's legal and all sorts of other ridiculous things are legal. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, it's crazy. There are groups that are like, hey, let's use mushrooms to as therapists to. Yes. It's not OK, I think. I've read about that. Yes. And I was but, a partaker myself. OK, but it's becoming more of a mainstream. Hey, try whatever to escape. Right. My fear is always what are you escaping from? Yeah. That's a scary one. Even, even thinking of your marriage, 
like there was it sounds like you guys have had a rough go which even led to the book you've written yeah um, well, i guess yeah. the two books even but absolutely um so this new book called happy after all um i think the name really says it shockingly we we really are happy after all with still occasional hiccups occasional severe pain but uh i think our story is very significant uh, one of the psychologists that helped me the most, I believe, uh, at one point said, marriages like yours don't make it, typically. He says, you're, you're a statistical outlier. Uh, and, you know, outlier means it's so far out of the pattern that it, and a, a data analyst would just throw it out, that piece of data. It just is. So uh, I, I thought that was significant because he works with people and most of his clients were borderline personalities. So my wife's primary diagnosis is borderline personality. And then she's also bipolar one, the, the, the classic bipolar. And uh, yeah. You must you, have been married how many years? 30, 35 years. 35 years. Oh, that's amazing. We were separated four times. Really? Uh, once I, uh, and I credit those and I detail that actually in the book uh, as one of the most important things that we did, I needed to do it to make myself safe and to set boundaries. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a, you know, boundaries are, can't be overstated how important they are Correct. Uh, with, with addicts. And in our life, it was, it was critical. So each time after a separation, we decided to give it another go. There was a, a measurable, you know, palpable sense of greater stability, greater respect, greater for understanding for who needs what in this relationship. And then things would deteriorate in different ways, you know, because these illnesses seem to just kind of manifest over the years that different parts of their issues and personalities come out differently mm -hmm. and get worse. And, uh, and then we would separate again. One time filed for divorce, I canceled it. Another time I was intent on filing for divorce and I didn't. I held, you know, I, I stuck with that six month law of uh, wherever the state I was living at the time. And, and I, in my heart said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to look anywhere else at anyone else. I, until those six months are passed, I'm going to see what God is going to do. And miracles happened in my wife's life that, uh, including a very nasty accident. Uh, she's disabled um, by birth. Her, her leg is paralyzed from the left left down and she wore a brace to be able to walk and slipped in the bathtub when we were separated and shattered it oh, it was wow. horrible and they had to kind of reconstruct it and she was living alone and so the full weight of because you know borderline personality they're obsessive about the love object whether it's the parent whether it's the spouse there's, there's somebody that, that has to fill all their needs and it's always their fault if anything doesn't do it. And so when she was all alone, that, that evaporated and, and she turned to God Now she had before and it was sincere, but mm -hmm. now there was, she was stuck, stuck, mm -hmm. stuck, stuck, sitting there, hardly able to walk. People had to help her get feed and she would watch religious programming and you, you could see an enormous change happening in her life. Wow. And at, at that point, I was like, oh man, we're, we got it made now. We finally over that. And so forgot, you know, we moved back together again, bought a different house and no, 
No, we weren't there <laughs> But it was better in major, major ways. So that's why the, you know, the subtitle of our book is, and it was her idea, by the way, to write this book, which she has a lot of courage in here because there's some pretty dramatic and not flattering stories in here. Mm -hmm. We never are like gruesome or anything like that. But um, it was her idea to write this because she felt like other people need to the hope that the even severe and extreme situations like ours, that there is hope with God first. Well, and so that's my question. So you then took a Christian approach to writing this book. What, what led to that being a key element? So, so, well, I guess first and foremost, because we believe, I know I would not have survived without God in, in my life helping me. I mean, really connecting. And th that's fundamental. And uh, I became a, a Christian nonfiction writer uh, in the last several years. And it just made sense that my whole passion, I mean, I know Christ is real. I know his power is real. It's too vivid for me to keep my mouth closed about it and to not share it. So, yes, I wanted this to be for primarily a Christian audience. Any spiritually minded person, I think, of another faith. Uh, would probably gain a ton of stuff from the book, but it's very much, you know, Old and New Testament scripture. Um, about 40% of it is really spiritual insights. The other 40% of what, what helped us make it is solid research-based mental health advice and recommendations. I mean, we read the literature. We went to see professionals, and there's a big disclaimer in the front of the book that nobody should try this alone if you've got these kinds of issues you really need the professional help we believe in medications we know that there's some people that have different views about that but for us they work they, 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 they life altering for you life altering yes absolutely our marriage was harder until my late 30s when i got properly diagnosed because my tendency to depress was made her crazy well, that's a bad word to say, and I wouldn't say it in front of her. Do <laughs> that, yeah. But just to use a you know common language, that yep. it just drove her out of her mind yep. because she needed my energy and needed to feel the love, and she you know she felt I was punishing her. So when I got more energy through the medication, I became more resilient, more able to be there for her. It just worked better. And then you know of course when her medications helped her not to go so. Um, up and down, then that helped me to not get depressed. So you got the two of us. We were quite aware, you know? Yeah. What if you could provide three pieces of advice to your list of listeners that are married to someone like you've described, what would you say? Well, I'd say number one is to believe that you are empowered, that you can do things personally independent of whether your spouse changes or not to make you feel a lot better. And those things, um, those things include spiritual learnings and application. And then this, uh, you know, more of the secular mental health recommendations. And we believe it takes both, but this is the key. And this is why the subtitle of the book is hope and help for you when your spouse has mental health or addiction issues, because I'm now. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, Corey. You, you meet with a lot of people. Mm -hmm. It's our impression 
that when these marriages fail, and I need to get back to your answer your question too, by the way, but when these marriages fail, it's the so-called healthier spouse that's like, I'm out of here. I can't take this anymore. Is that true? Or is it the maybe the one with greater issues that bails out first? I think I've seen kind of both. Okay. It's one can't handle it. Actually, both either of them couldn't handle it. Yeah. Uh, the healthier one, if you think of us as Christians, what breaks my heart is you're breaking that covenant because it's not easy. Marriage is not meant to be easy. And we need we've got way too much hollywood in our brain as to what we're looking for and so no marriage is two very needy people coming together to support each other yeah it's gonna be hard so in your case even you know that times a a lot (laughs) yeah yeah um I'm, i'm glad you mentioned the covenant relationship i should have mentioned that when you said why do you want to take the christian approach to this book because i think it's so fundamental and, you know, this isn't buying a, a loaf of bread and you didn't like it, so you changed the brand next week. Yeah. This is much deeper than that. Uh, so, but what do you do as a Christian when you have that kind of commitment and you, and, and we stress the importance of getting an answer from God about whether you should stay in your marriage. And we don't, by the way, assume that all marriages are safe and can make it. We're right. very explicit that there's a time to make yourself safe. Um, I think yeah. our four separations illustrate that. I was unsafe. I was being abused. I was falling apart, mm-hmm. and I needed to separate. So, well, your, your number one point, so the number one point you said has been the two piece, the two elements, the faith and right. good mental health from trained people, from good resources. That's right. And these are some Christians are some are not Christians. So you highlight both of those in your book, which is really great. We need need more of that that's putting those two pieces up front what would be your second and third uh well the boundaries i think are the most important a right. person has to study boundaries yeah uh, the classic book cloud and town <laughs> yeah and i quote that book i recommend it yep. in the back it's i just love it and uh, i think i love it because we just still don't get it we too many christians think that no boundaries is christian Oh, okay. So interesting. Uh, So I, you know, I had a hunch that, that many might feel that way. I I did at times. Mm -hmm. I, uh, there were times when my wife, I I remember in our first year of marriage, I was horrified that she would follow me around the house. And (laughs) when she was mad and she's like, you started this, you got me here. You're going to get me out of it. You can't go. And I would go into another room and close the door and she would pound and scream and cry. And this would go on for at least an hour. And at that point, you know, you feel violated, but you start to wonder about the justice of not helping this poor grieving person, you know, because you're trying to be a Christian. You're trying to be loving. You're trying to be like Jesus and look beyond a person's wickedness or whatever. And so you you get stuck in all of this, but at some point, then the healthy secular research helps you see that there are better ways to deal with this. And the chapter on boundaries, by the way, and I think this is one of the most fascinating for those who really are students of the Bible and and love scripture, is that it makes a parallel between our life as Christians 
where we're under captivity in Egypt, like the Israelites, captivity through Satan, we're all fallen, mm -hmm. and that Moses being a type or a figure of Christ delivers us through his wonders. We go through the Red Sea, the waters of baptism. We end up on the other side delivered, but before we know it, we start doing, you know, making bad choices again. And God wants us to go into the promised land, but suddenly we end up in the wilderness anyway until we can sort of get all this, you know, filthiness and nonsense out of us. And, and I think this parallels our life as Christians so well, uh, because A, it, it illustrates how God set boundaries with his people in all ages. And, you know, Jesus, uh, the creator and God of all, of all, is the one who, before his uh, earthly ministry, was the God who spoke to Moses and gave mm -hmm. commandments and set limits and told the children of Israel, you're not going in the promised land. Yep. You went too far. So the, the righteousness of setting limits and boundaries is clearly established in scripture, in my view. And I'll just, I just can't resist this one little point here. So after they're finally permitted to go into the promised land, what did God tell them to do? He said, you need to kill or cast out all of these nations that are in there, which by the way, there's a separate wonderful article referenced in my book about was God a moral monster or what? You know, why is he commanding them to kill all these? Well, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of stuff that we know about the depravity and the cruelty and the horror of the way these people lived at the time mm -hmm. that they were commanded to cast. But anyway, they were told to go into the promised land and to create a secure life for themselves. They were supposed to set boundaries. Or God warned them that they would get all enmeshed with things that were not good for them. They would get, become idolatrous and all that stuff. I think that that's a great metaphor for what happens in a marriage is if, if you don't clearly say, I'm not going to accept this. I need this, blah, blah, blah. You're, you're just going to be all this way. You're just all, you know, the whole codependent thing and you're, you're, everything is just gets fuzzy and messy and uncomfortable and nobody's happy. And that's why I, I guess I know boundaries you've probably seen miracles in your clients lives as they've learned the skill of setting boundaries absolutely, absolutely. yeah what's your third one uh well actually the first one was the the brief statement about that you are empowered that you need to believe that you can feel better significantly better whether your your spouse changes at all yeah. to begin with right. yes the first one it's not dependent on them that's so important right. yes and your calling as a husband or wife is to be your to do your part but what i hear from most of my clients is but but them but them but them this that or the right. other it's so easy to focus on someone else and when someone else is having trouble especially when you have a spouse with mental health issues it's easy to completely ignore that you have any issues right so yeah. when they actually get help, what happens is divorce comes afterwards because now they have to actually deal with their stuff. They've actually not had to for years. Yeah. It's very and, <laughs> and we don't let our readers off the hook with that one because that's not doing them a service. We, we all have issues. We have to acknowledge that there is no good guy, bad guy. There's no healthy spouse, unhealthy spouse. There might be a spouse with fewer issues, but we're all a little troubled and, and yeah. certainly with sinfulness in various ways or whatever. So 
we hit that right head on. Um, you know, I'm, I'm so pleased that the people, the, the, the professionals, like the critics who have reviewed this book have called it warm, empathetic, appealingly nice. sympathetic. Uh, there's, there's not a harshness about it either to oneself or to the spouse. It's just acknowledging that this stuff is, is horribly difficult to deal with, but there's, there's hope. I mean, I, I hate to hold us up that much as a light, but that is kind of the main reason that the book can be called, you know, hope and help is that I think there's an implicit message. If they can make it, I think we have a pretty good chance because we yeah. were a mess. Well, so give us some <laughs> of uh, what you went through being married to someone diagnosed with bipolar and other diagnosis. So within two months of being married and my wife and I had, I'm sorry, two months of meeting where we hadn't been married yet. Uh, uh, and we hadn't seen each other much because I'm, I'm traveling as a musician. Uh, we're in her area and she is uh, telling me, she knows the area. Well, it's her home area. I'm driving this car. She says, get off this exit. And I said, are you sure it's this one? And she completely shut down, wouldn't talk the rest of the trip, wouldn't, you know, it turned into three days with no return phone calls. And I was like, oh my gosh, what have I done? And she finally came and it was seemed like her old self as I perceived it. And, you know, it, this was an example of that kind of irretrievable anger. Mm. And this was into, I hate to say it, into even 30 years of marriage. It's, it's really a lot better about the last five to seven years uh, after she went into a certain program. Um, but the anger, she couldn't yeah. seem to get rid of it. And, and her way of later, as she got to know me more, she's like, well, you're my husband. You're just going to deal with it. She would just start yelling. And, and we didn't go past uh, three days. Going more than three days without a major argument was rare. We would sometimes go as long as two weeks, but it's no exaggeration that never in the first 10 years of our marriage did we make it more than two weeks without a major gut-wrenching kind of argument where, and, you know, I use this analogy in, in the book about, you know, mental illness manifests usually in two ways, either feelings that are out of control and disproportionate to what we would think is appropriate or logic and words and thinking that just is out there. Mm -hmm. And it's like vanilla and chocolate and twist. And my wife was twist. It was always emotion out of control, thoughts that didn't seem rational or reasonable. And when you get subjected to this long enough, you know, this is why the chapters in the book are things like, I'm so confused. So we decided to write the chapters in the, in the way that, that are the most profoundly painful things that the spouse experiences. I'm so confused. How can I start feeling like myself again? Yeah. I'm, I'm losing like who I am because of this stuff that keeps getting said to me. Mm -hmm. um, I'm starting to doubt myself and my faith. How about, can I survive this? Excellent. You know, there's, this, there's a survival instinct that kicks in. Like I'm really going to be destroyed by this. And, and I was very much keeping my, my antenna up for that feeling like, this is totally killing me. Mm -hmm. uh, I was willing to suffer in the extreme. If, if, you know, God has his purposes. My wife is a worthwhile person. I oh, knew yeah. she's fundamentally a good, good person. And I loved her. I still love her. Uh, 
and she was good for me in many ways. So there were, you know, I don't, in between those three day very horrible arguments, were still lots of fun times. I think we all need to realize that that's what makes these relationships so difficult is balancing that this is a good person and they make me laugh a lot and they make me happy and they say nice things about me, but then they act like this and it drives me off, you know, out of my mind. Uh, so that's the conflicted, you know, mental ping pong, I call it, or should I stay? Should I go? Is this worth it? Is it, you know, uh, it's not fair. You know, you, you start feeling like it's not fair. Well, no marriage is really fair, but these kind of marriages really, I think, take that to another level. They do. Yeah. <laughs> what, what would you say you guys had to have made some really strong commitments and decisions to be where you're at today there's you've been through so much what were some some of the key things you committed to that led to you really the last five to six years even where you're really thriving where you're really yeah. in a good place what are some of well, those key things well number one for sure I believe is getting an answer from God. It's having a confidence that you you can pray and that you can recognize godly answers because you need that to sustain you. Know, I'm it sorry. Wasn't praying, it wasn't praying, hey God, fix it. Well, <laughs> there was a lot of that. But, a lot of that, was, but that wasn't the answer. What was the answer? Yeah, the answer was it's right. Mm -hmm. I will sustain you. Yes. You that's... will grow. Yeah. You will yeah. grow. I will. You, know, you will see success over time. Was mm -hmm. the the answer, and then not just a snap of a finger and it's all fixed, which is what we're really praying for, <laughs> right? But to answer your question about what in the last five to seven years, um, my wife had a terrible, maybe her fourth nasty, uh, in in the hospital psychiatric unit where she was really angry, just everything just felt so awful. My job was really hard at the time. I, I just was, I was just running out of steam and she wasn't giving at all. And, and uh, we had heard about DBT, dialectical behavior therapy. And somebody told us, you've got to get her into that kind of therapy because it's the only one that really works for borderline personality. That just stuck in my head. Yep. Well, at this hospital, they recommended a place in Pittsburgh that could take her full time. We actually moved to Pittsburgh for three months. We rented a place and moved to downtown Pittsburgh so that she could attend five days a week. And ironically, she was in there with the majority were court committed, not interested, could care less. They were in the opportunity of a lifetime. Mm -hmm. and, and she was just there and she was, this was, she was committed and, and she really was. And uh, I'll tell you, those other participants, they lit her up, man. They, they just thought she was just a spoiled, spoiled woman that didn't know what she had. They just, they just told her what they thought. And, and then every night we would debrief and counselors would kind of put her back together. But she would, she, you know, I mean, she was learning stuff that made sense. And she was beginning to recognize that her thinking what she always thought was fair and reasonable was really not. And there was no amount of persuasion or me explaining. In fact, I make this point in the book that the worst thing you can do as a spouse is try to, you know, get this like defective thing out of, out of a person's head. You just can't do it as the spouse. It has to be a professional or it has to be themselves studying. So finally, this objective third party is 
helping her see, and she is like saying, I'm really happy. Mm. Beautiful. So, I mean, what, what I'm hearing is, yes, praying for God to intervene and even just give perseverance, endurance, but then getting the right help. It's back to those first two points you made earlier. It's both and yeah. God working and then getting the right help. Yeah. And I mean, that was the, the kind of the final push into more normalcy. And uh, there's still been some, you know, some challenges uh, since then. But that, and, uh, you know, they, they, I think we probably right now have fewer really painful challenges than a lot of couples out there. And in fact, uh, since this book came out, some of our friends that we just recently met that never knew about our past, uh, one just for weeks, she just would say, I, I just can't believe it. I, I can't believe you guys, are this, this, this couple here, this, you know. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, so that is validation that from the outside, people sense that we're a, a happy couple, that we're loving. And, uh, and so there is hope, there really is. And my wife doesn't write much in the book. I'm the primary author, but there's a section of each chapter that is her perspective. And one of the PhD um, psychology professionals that reviewed this book said that he felt that that was one of the most uh, unique and important contributions of the book is that it juxtaposes the, you know, the description from the healthier spouse's view with how the other person was thinking at the time. And it's very stark when you read it, it's like, oh, no wonder it was so hard. Uh, but it, it does, it provides a dose of reality. Wow, I love that. And that definitely, and a question I was going to ask is about what makes the book unique, but that's definitely one of them. I love to hear that. It is. It, um, it, it, it absolutely like got a lot of validation too. When does the book um, hit the public? Where they yeah, well, let me uh, actually pull up an image of it because yeah, I, I think it's, uh, I think it's, uh, love that title happy after all dot info yeah yeah so, so that's, that's where cool. your, your viewers can go to learn a bit more about it so august 12th the ebook is live on amazon okay. and the paperback won't be available till november 2nd uh okay. with lovely covid challenges even the printers are, are struggling to to stay afloat uh keep keep up but anyway uh yeah the she wanted to write this because she felt like if I wouldn't have found some ways to, to keep myself together, our marriage would have failed. Um, and so she's like, can you, can you put some of that together? And, and I am a professional instructional designer. So the other wow. thing that makes this, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it really, the pieces come together. And I, I honestly believe God has pruned and shaped my life, our life, to be able to put something together to help a lot of folks who are suffering right now. This is, I think, critical. What does the subtitle say? Hope and help for you. When your spouse has mental health or addiction issues. Wonderful. So it's yeah. it'll help, um, you know, spiritually strengthen. Mm -hmm. uh, there's beautiful metaphors in there. I mean, anybody who loves the Bible will love how it's sprinkled in with biblical scripture, some oh, wonderful God. stories like around unfairness and like King David when he was, I don't know if you guys remember the story where King David snapped and he's like, strap on your swords because we're going to kill all the men in this particular camp. He just had it. 
And then what happens next is just a beautiful metaphor for what we feel like snapping and when we need help from God. Stuff like that. Love it. Well, I'm excited excited. to get this out there. I'm excited to see what God does with this book. Um, And you have another one as well, right? Yeah, that's right. So three years ago, uh, this was a 20-year project. Wow. Uh, When I worked at that juvenile corrections facility, uh, there was a young man sitting in my class, told him that a counselor had given him a Bible, and he was very frustrated. He's like, I can't understand this. Hmm. And I knew he was right. He had a poor reading ability and didn't know anything about the Bible. Just to go in cold, it's, it's hard. So at the time, I was reading a scholarly book about the life of Jesus and his teachings, and it was creating a movie-like experience. And what I wanted to do was create a guided tour with a kindly guide who would walk through from birth to resurrection in the Savior's life and help make it relevant for that person. Oh, and oh, that's, that's what's happened. That's what it is. Yes. So, and if you go to happyafterall.info on, top, on the top, you can link there's a link to all the rest of what you do. Um, this other book, it's also right. on Amazon. Yeah. And if they go to happyafterall.info, I-N-F-O, not .com, I-N-F-O, then that, uh, there's a button to download three free chapters of this book. Nice. And that uh, doesn't even require email signature, but I'd love it if you subscribe elsewhere on the site. But you'll get instant download to those chapters. And hey, we're just excited to get this out there finally. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I'm so excited to meet you and to talk with you and look forward to seeing what God does with this because it's definitely, to me, God is a redeemer. And so how you, no matter what the future holds, but how you use this as a platform to affect lives, there are way too many people out there hurting. As we talked about in the beginning, just the mental health realities, we're becoming more aware of it. And I actually think we're going backwards in some areas where it's not helping it's hurting because of yeah. some of the resources out there so this is a beautiful addition um, that's helpful it's encouraging it's it's full of light yeah I, I believe that it is I believe it was God inspired in, in many ways uh, as I've been rereading it the last you know as we're finishing production here I'm just I've been deeply touched at how this has all come together to be very very valuable for folks that's wonderful so wonderful. Well, thanks for this time. Um, Corey, thank you. All you're doing, look forward to continuing to follow you. And you can also follow you on all social media as well, right? We'll have all those links in the show notes and um, bless you in your marriage and your influence. Thank you so much for all you do and for giving us this opportunity to share this. Pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to the Family Features Podcast. It has been an honor to serve. Find out more about Dr. Gilbert and his resources for you and your family's growth and success at HealingLives.com. And if you think you could use some support along the way, be sure to book that call at BookDrG.com. And one more thing, if you found this helpful, please share this podcast with others so that we can change the world together.